0: Hello and welcome back to the Leaders in EDI podcast. In this series, we shine a light on the progress being made and the challenges being faced in equity, diversity, and inclusion across sport and other industries. I'm Jade Amies, I'm the producer of the podcast, and we've finally reached the end of the season where we've been getting the perspective of different EDI leaders to guide you through the stages of how to build, execute, monitor, and evaluate an impactful EDI strategy. We've spoken to Chris Paros, EDI consultant and advisor, to Kate Aldridge, EDI Director at the ECB, to Rishi Jain, Senior Manager of Equality, Diversity and Inclusion at Liverpool FC, and to Haley Bennett, EDI Consultant and Campaigner. In this final episode, we will focus on reflection, reassessment and response to crisis. When must you adapt your EDI strategy? How do you respond to crisis internally and externally? And reflecting on the entire process, what real-life problems might you face while building your EDI strategy? So not only will we learn about that last and ever-ongoing stage of building a strategy, which is adaptation, we will also gather our experts' final thoughts on the entire process. For the last time in the season, let's consult Chris, Kate, Rishi and Haley. The first thing we wanted to know is, so you've built your strategy, you've done the planning, you've done the implementation, you've done the measurement, you've done the evaluation. Part of the sector that we're in is ever learning, ever growing, ever adapting. What's the difference between a circumstance that will prompt you to make minor changes and one that will prompt you to re-strategize entirely, completely rethink the strategy that you have? Let's start with Kate.
1: I think it's a bit of a spectrum. Um, so I think you'd hope to not have to think rethink your whole plan, but you might need to. So let's say there's been a significant change in leadership and the subsequent direction that your organisation is going in. That might require you to rethink your plan. If there's significant changes in budget and resources, so you've got a lot more money than you used to have or a lot less money or more people or fewer people or something like a major world event like COVID, might mean that you have to change up your action plan because some of the things that you were planning to do might no longer be deliverable in the way that you were going to do it. In terms of kind of like the more minor changes, you might add or remove an action in your plan when you realize a particular intervention isn't having the impact that you thought it would. So, this is when monitoring and evaluating and reporting becomes so important. You've got to track whether the objective you're trying to achieve, whether you're getting there, and if the action that you're doing is helping that objective. You might remove things on the more positive side because you've completed them much earlier than you expected. Or you might have new information that comes to light through research or through data which moves something up your priority list. And those are kind of the circumstances, I think, in which you might have more minor changes to your plan. And what about
0: Hayley?
2: Yeah I think it goes back to those building blocks of your strategy so is your vision the same as a result of what might have happened or as a result of that change? Most times in fact I think pretty much all the time that does not change and therefore often those strategic objectives that sit at the very top of your strategy that everything else um, falls underneath often doesn't change you might tweak one slightly so I think what it comes down to is removing or adding actions along the way and I think being honest as well where you need to remove or change some of those metrics for measuring success or at least your goals and intentions for them. I honestly don't think there's anything wrong in saying like actually this is going to take us a lot longer than we originally intended. Or actually now we have grown as an organisation because we've you know, received X amount of funding or we have shrunk. We're going to focus and prioritise these two strategic objectives instead. I think that's totally fine. I think where we haven't got to yet when it comes to EDI and sport, which we see, and it's not every sector I'm working in, but we see it a lot more, especially in tech actually, is that um, transparency around that. So I would love to see EDI Um, reporting happen more in sport so here's how we've progressed on our objectives this year and being honest around what you have achieved and what you haven't as much as um, here's all the great things we've done and some nice pictures like it has to be more than that there's no um, shame in it we might get a little bit of a backlash on twitter for 24 hours and then everyone will move on and most people who you're looking to do this work for will trust you more as a result so I think it's about yeah are you changing your vision probably not are you changing your strategic objectives that meet that vision you might have to like streamline and maybe focus on um a couple of them if we have four for example um and then it's about think about the actions the actions you should be reviewing them all the time anyway um and especially when you're meeting them or if you're seeing through the measurement that they're not achieving what they set out to do um but i think when it comes to crisis if that is like the reason why you're changing your strategy, I would honestly say to think twice. The issue that I see often is something go on in the media, especially because, we know, it's a high profile industry and that's what makes it unique. And that's what makes the influence we have in this space unique and powerful. People need to think about who they're doing this for. So I've had two incidents in my freelance consulting career where I've had organisations have like media storms whilst I've been working with them. And a piece of work I always give, a uh, piece of advice I always give to them is when you respond, who have you got in mind? Have you got in mind the troll who's on social media or on the Daily Mail comment section or the pe- the person who doesn't believe you should be doing this work in the first place and um, cooling them down if you like? Or have you got that black colleague that you brought in, promised the world to, Um you can see that you want to retain and develop in this organization in your mind when you're going to respond and honestly a lot of the time when I see statements come out or actions come out people have got you know that first like demographic in mind and trust me they won't care after a couple days but the people who your audience is that you're looking to do this work for the trust will never like be rebuilt if you don't respond in the right way so I always say that and hopefully people listening will take that, that on board um, because the work that you've done and the investment you've put in over years and years can just like, be gone overnight. But if you approach it in the right way and have that like, audience at your forefront, then you're going to do the right thing. And actually, it might even help, help you with like, gaining further trust.
0: Secondly, can you give an example of a time when you had to adapt your EDI strategy? Let's get Rishi's perspective first.
3: Yeah, when I started the club, the club already had its own ED9 strategy. I um, suppose you could argue that was in, in need of a reform. Um, nothing wrong with it, far from it. It served a purpose, but actually the club had moved on, the world had moved on, and actually it was time for it to be refreshed, and that's what we did. We simplified it. We went from around 19, 20 pages to six or seven, I think it is, in its current format. Um, and it was really clear in... That also coincided with a new identity and a new strapline and a vision for Red Together and what we did because we purposely we moved away from a, fo- a real strong focus on inclusion, which is obviously hugely important. But it was more around what's our commitments, like what do we believe in, what do we stand for, what what do we as a football club strongly believe in, and what do we commit to. Um, and it was a sort of change in the reform, the strategy. It moved us from talking about wanting to be the most inclusive football club to Read Together being our commitment to quality diverse inclusion. And it's, it's really subtle, but actually, for me, it's really powerful because we talked a lot about measurable outcomes. It's really tricky to measure inclusion. Like, how do you really do that, except for a qualitative survey or getting people to put a number on a certain scale and things like that. And that, that's not always realistic, whereas actually you can really give people the tools to demonstrate their commitment. Um, in a means of different ways and actually in very different ways. Because someone's commitment might be as simple as wearing a, a particular badge on the lanyard or it might be they wear a sticker or they, they give up an extra hour a month to support a network or whatever um, or they go over and above. And that, That's great, but that commitment is demonstra- people are able to demonstrate that in any way that works for them. Um, and that's where we've done that sort of big reform around the strategies to sort of reshape it and make it more fit for purpose of what we do. Um, I suppose what we've what we've had to tweak and will continue to tweak is the strategies, a continually evolving documents. Obviously, we're just waiting for the final bits of the census information to come out in 2021. That will probably mean that we'll need to rethink some of our targets, make sure they're in line with current legislation, current guidance, etc. And really importantly, but also what does the country look like, what does our local area look like, and do we need to rejig some of our targets just to make sure that they are in line with what we want to achieve and also we're aspirational enough enough for us to work towards but importantly not setting us up to fail and not so far out of reach we don't feel we can ever get there.
1: Yeah so I think um, within cricket following Azeem Rafiq's um, really powerful testimony to the DCMS Select Committee, cricket recognised that it needed to come together quickly and put more focus on our collective EDI strategy to drive progress at a faster rate and with a greater focus on how we would tackle discrimination and racism within the game. And so as a result of that, we agreed as a game, a 12-point action plan called the Game-Wide Commitments, which looked to tackle the key priority areas in response and we've then over the past year been delivering that and then been transparent in reporting against that on a quarterly basis over the past year and those game-wide commitments had the buy-in of the whole of cricket so it wasn't just an ECB plan, it was a game-wide plan and that's an example I think of how strategies can be adapted quickly in response to a situation.
0: So say you are in a kind of crisis situation, a slight kind of PR disaster, how did or would you reiterate your commitment to EDI both internally to the people of your organisation and externally as well, especially if this is something that's being covered in the press?
3: When those things do happen, and unfortunately they do, I believe that you reiterate your commitment by how you react to that incident um how you respond to it not just what your immediate response is but what your long-term response is and then how you ensure you know ne- it hopefully it never happens again depending on what the incident is and who's that for what I'd better phrase fault for me that's how you that's how you challenge those types of things what i would like to not be part of um and thankfully not within my own organization is one that pulls the shutters down and gets you back up and turns into the defensive mode. Um, it's very easily done, like that, but it's, it's probably quite natural for people generally in society to to get defensive. But actually, I think if you really want to make progress in ED&I, you need to be willing to hear those things. And really importantly, work collaboratively with the input of colleagues, internally, externally, with people who've been affected by that hypothetical incident, and hopefully make sure that never happens again in that person or group of individuals. And... And never sort of feel like they need feel the need to raise that incident again
2: yeah I think it would be to go back to where you've progressed and who's accountable for some of the actions so I think the the damage is also often there when the EDI like commitments or 10 points of things we're going to do it's not always a strategy or just that statement no one's actually accountable for it And this is where I think like inclusive leadership is really key. I'd like to see messaging from CEO or equivalent to say, this is what we said we were going to do last year or six months ago. We're still like progressing on this. We know there's still loads of work to do. But here's our plan for the next thing. And this is what I'm personally going to do to make sure that that happens. I think too often it becomes like a third person blog that goes out or something like that and there's no human behind it so leaders need to really step into this because ultimately the buck does you know sit with them like if they haven't responded if they are seeing in their their company that something has not gone right they need to take ownership and, you know, this is why people do it, because you have to be vulnerable. But I think like putting that person behind it is really key for me, internally and externally. And I'd also say, like, leaving that door, like, all virtual door open to say to staff, like, come and talk to me about, like, how this has impacted you. Or please do send an, any anonymous feedback in that I'm going to respond to. And this is what people are a bit scared of, because the reality is we don't often have enough psychological safety that people would be comfortable to even respond to like a um, external incident internally but if we have some of those mechanisms in place we'll be able to address it
1: yeah so i think after experiencing something like azim's testimony you need to have open and honest conversations and you need to not shy away from talking about difficult and challenging matters with your stakeholders so those conversations are really important to help properly understand and hear people to demonstrate that you're listening and that you're committed to taking action off the back of that listening and I think in terms of our response we've been pretty clear on our commitments in those communications explaining what we're going to deliver why we're doing it and then quite importantly kind of the progress that we've made and I think One of the important things is it's important to reiterate your commitment to EDI regardless of a crisis. And in fact, some of the hardest times to continue reiterating your commitment is when there isn't scrutiny on your work. And and, and actually when people aren't looking and they aren't paying attention, that's a really important time to continue delivering and continue recommitting to your work in that space. And I think something important is to reiterate your commitment through words, but also the most important thing you can do is to keep delivering your work and let the impact speak for itself. And I think finding the balance between that and making sure that the work that you are doing is having impact and is driving change and that people can see that the change is happening is absolutely key.
0: Thank you, Kate. We're going to take a short break now, but we'll be back in a moment to talk more on EDI strategy.
4: The Leaders' Sports Awards are returning to the Natural History Museum in October, and the Community, Inclusion and Sustainability Awards categories are open. These categories look at the way sport can be used to positively influence societal change, and they uncover and award the organisations driving our industry forward through an array of projects and initiatives. Nominations are free to submit and entries will close on Friday, 21st of April, 2359 British Summertime. Visit leadersinsport.com forward slash LSA to explore the categories and start your entry today.
0: Hello everyone and welcome back to this episode of Leaders in EDI. So now kind of reflecting on the process in its entirety, have you got any examples of real life problems you faced during the process of building an EDI strategy that maybe haven't already been mentioned or come up? Let's start with Chris.
4: I think the interesting thing with that is is whether it's adapting because the external environments changed, right? So I think there's something about the external environment or whether something and then there's the, something changes in the internal environment or you get scared. I think the important thing is if you get scared, I always hope that you've got brave enough leaders who say, okay, I understand that there's a diversion if we're going to use that. But you know what? I'm going to follow the signs around the diversion. I'm not just going to do a U-turn. Cause I think the comfort zone is doing the U-turn and just going back the way you came because you know where that is. You know, where you've come from, you kind of, you know, you might've come from home. It's kind of cozy, the fire's on, but actually if you go via the diversion, maybe you're going to end up like in a nicer, bigger house. That's not just warm, but like there's a beautiful skylight and the birds are singing. So I think that's, what's important is like if you face that diversion, whether it's an external one or an internal one, is to have the bravery from a leadership perspective and hopefully underpinned by all of the things that we've just spoken about, means that the organization is ready to kind of drive past that diversion into the paradise that we just uh, described.
1: So, again, I guess tying into things that I have experience and specialism in. EDI data can be really challenging. And when you're looking at the start of creating a strategy, if you don't have data, it takes a surprising amount of time and effort to set up the processes to make sure you're following GDPR correctly, to to make sure that you have the right data to inform what you're going to do next. And that isn't particularly visible work. So it might not look like you're making very much progress, but it's absolutely essential as a kind of a foundation for it. So I think some of the challenges in the EDI space when you're creating a strategy or delivering a strategy is that some of the hygiene factors that potentially should have been there anyway are still things that you need to do and work on if they're not there. So how you balance that with things that might potentially be more tangible or, or look like they're delivering more impact. So building some of those foundations alongside the delivery is kind of an ongoing
0: Challenge and a thing that you need to balance. So, what stage or stages of building an EDI strategy do you find most exciting, and what do you find most challenging or even frustrating?
1: Oh, it is no, that is like a, asking me to pick a favorite child. Um, I love being in a room with people when we've got some element of a structure. We sort of we know halfway there of what we think we're going to do and we start the real kind of debates and discussion about whether that's actually going to drive the impact that we think it is what about that what about this thing when you start to do have the real prioritization conversations I think that's where it gets those are quite energizing days they're kind of challenging and the discussions are really interesting and you always come away with a different perspective that you haven't thought about before so I really enjoy those kind of those aspects of the consultation where you're yeah, really discussing and debating what the priorities are and, and if that's going to work or not. In terms of the most challenging bit, I think when you think about like the eighty twenty, you that last bit when you're just finessing and you're wordsmithing, I think that's always kind of for me the challenging bit where you feel like you're almost there, but it's not complete yet. And it always takes longer than you think it's going to, to do that. It's really important to get the wording right and to be really clear in what commitments you're making. But it doesn't feel like you're making progress at anywhere near the rate that you do early on when you go from a blank sheet of paper to a rough strategy. That last bit, it's really important but it always feels quite long and quite challenging. And, and the relief when you get there and you can share and publish your strategy is kind of, it's a, it's a nice relief at the end of it all um, to kind of have something that you're, you're really pleased with in terms of how it's written and how it's communicated.
3: I suppose the, the bit of building the strategy, which I find the most motivating and really enjoy is when you've got these ideas and you are starting to map it all out, and then you're able to go out to your internal external stakeholders and go rip that apart for me, make it bigger, make it better. Because for me, that's where you end up with a really, hopefully, a really strong piece of work. And um, people feel like the people have all them feel like they have bought into it. Hopefully, the part of it they feel a sense of ownership over it. For me, that is the most exciting part about the strategy is that collaborative element. The last thing I'd want to do is just drop it into people's inboxes and be like, hey, "Here's our new strategy," and it really affects them as people, but you haven't been able to really or you haven't chosen to engage with them. So straight away they feel like they're being directed rather than actually being part of that journey that I've talked about already. Um that for me is the most is the bit which I feel you, you're really moving from good practice to best practice to be willing to bring people in as part and diverse voices and diverse opinions and people who will challenge, people who just will people who will debate certain points and really focusing on certain levels of detail because that's what makes the strategy better also what makes you better as an organization um to answer your question about the challenge i suppose the the challenge that you face with any strategy is when it is implemented when it is new is ensuring that you you focus upon that Um, especially when there's previous work that historical work that's been done in the past i think in any organization it'll be very easy to say oh, well, this is the way we've always done it. And there has to be an element of recognising someone's history and an organization's history and celebrating that and acknowledging that. But also, when you are implementing these new approaches, sometimes it can be easy for people to slip into, oh, well, we do it this way in this organisation, but actually, this is a slightly new approach, so this is how we're going to do it. But hopefully that wouldn't be happening too often because you will have hopefully consulted with that in person. They will feel part of this new process. Um, because obviously if they feel like that enough, then they'll always be part of it at some point. So you'd want them to be part of that sort of consultation process and help them to shape your new strategy rather than focusing on previous efforts.
2: Well, I'm a proper geek for this kind of stuff. So I just like like designing it, like putting all the building blocks in place that I mentioned. But I think the bit that I like the most is... So I tend to like to do like a two-pronged approach for the consultation. So I mentioned earlier that I speak to staff often on a one-to-one basis or within their teams initially to get like the insights. And then it's similar when we play it back. So I don't just be like, I've created this amazing, beautiful strategy, like here you are, everyone. I then go to that point where I get feedback. And I'm always super nervous at this point because people could come and trash what I've done. But I think it really like it's really enjoyable for me to like get that feedback, good and bad, for people saying, Oh Hayley, I don't think you quite like understood this bit, like actually can we do this or Oh this seems really challenging, Hayley, like how are we gonna do it? And I know try and do that in small groups or one to ones too. So often I think people think a consultant comes in, produced it for like the leadership and then they walk away. But I like to like have conversations with the staff to get their like like f- not final input but like additional input once the strategy like 90% there so that we can continue to make that a process we build together um, and the bits that I don't like to be honest it's always the same within, within sporting organisations and a lot of other sectors as well but I think we have a particular challenge with it here I would say it comes when people say, look at the work that we've produced and say there's too much Hayley We need to focus on five things or 10 things. And I just think, honestly, um, I wish that I could make this shorter. I wish that I could have spent like a fraction of the time on this because it's hard work. But if we want to take this seriously, it is going to need to be comprehensive. Um, It needs to be focused, but it's going to have a lot of actions within it. And this is where it comes to people seeing it as a long term piece of work. I think, unfortunately, people still view like strategies are something that we're going to have ticked off in a year or even two years whereas what I put together is like long term so yeah I always get told Haley, it's too much stuff like how are we going to trim it down how are we going to do this and I think it's like getting people to understand it's a long-term piece of work but I think the other thing is people not understanding that equity part so people often think we want to be inclusive Hayley we want to do this stuff but they don't know that that often involves like changing the ways that we do things or it's a lot of sacrifice so I, even I mentioned earlier on this um discussion the parental leave for example we want people we want gender balance we want um equity when it comes to gender but that also means we need to make sure that people are you know allow sufficient time off when they are having children so it might mean that you're gonna have to you know make provisions for that and that's just reality you can't say that we want women working here we want to create um more women in leadership positions we want like fairness if you're not prepared to um, do what you can on that sense so i think it's often people not realizing like what we mean when we say equity it does mean changing the ways that we currently do think it's not just a lot of nice initiatives that go on
0: so now for our last question we've spent this series talking about how to build an edi strategy and And obviously, we've spoken to leaders in the sports industry, but the knowledge that we've picked up during this process could apply to any organisation that's building an EDI strategy. So we want to tie this back to sport. And we want to know what got you into sport and what makes sport such a good vehicle for discussing EDI? I
1: think so. The reason I came to work in sport was because I believe in the power of sport to drive social change and to have... The, imp- the positive impact that sport can have on people's lives. So as a kid, I played loads of different sport and it really helps your, it helps your confidence, it helps your leadership skills, it helps your ability to work in a team. And then there's all of this bank of evidence around how sport, uh, and particularly from my perspective, I guess, playing team sports can improve your happiness, it can improve social cohesion, it can improve educational outcomes. And that, for me, was the draw for working in sport.
3: I suppose the majority of people have got some form of sports affiliation, whether it's team, whether it's a general love of a sport, or they've played a child on stage, or have a soft interest in something. I think what I think sport is great at is highlighting highlighting issues um, when it needs to, and that's really powerful. I also think it's able to, in the right way, and when done in the right way, it's also able to address some of those issues. Where the challenge comes in is that, is it the role of sports people to wade in on every single topic? No, it isn't. Um, so again, take it back to strategy. There has to be strategic reasons to why you're talking to certain topics. As an organisation, you can't do absolutely everything, um, nor should you be expected to. But actually, it's... It's a great thing to be a part of. And actually, I think sports can really play a part in helping shape people's work. We are, um, so the club um, and myself, we're part of a a project with the UN at the moment. um, And that is the Eradicate Hate Sports Working Group. And essentially, that's a group of predominantly US-based organisations. We're the only UK, non-US one at the moment, um, who are using the medium of sports, and athlete voices and sort of the power of the brands, et cetera, within sports to eradicate hate speech. Um, I suppose in the UK, what is quite, um, it's not positive, I wouldn't call it positive at all, but what is different, I suppose, to the US is that hate speech over here is predominantly verbal, does obviously lead sometimes to physical altercations, etc. cetera, um, restricted to a keyboard or a phone. But however, unfortunately in the US and other parts of the world, it can be at its most tragic. Um, with people picking up automatic weapons etc and huge mass genocide and all these types of things but actually what's really powerful is that if we as a football club can can take in our responsibilities to educate people through our platforms through our voice and hopefully prevent them from engaging those behaviors and role model what good practice really looks like and it can hopefully prevent something awful happening in the future then it's worth it it's totally worth it
0: And that brings us to the end of this episode and this season of the Leaders in EDI podcast. We'll see you later in 2023 with a brand new season. But in the meantime, you can sign up to our monthly community newsletter. Just email me at jade.amies at And you can see us in the monthly Spotlight on EDI segment during the Leaders Live monthly podcast. Visit the Leaders in Sport LinkedIn page for more details. In the meantime, thank you to our guests this season, Chris, Kate, Rishi, and Haley. And to our diversity series partners, Prime Video, IMG, Wasserman, Team Marketing, and Delta Tray for helping us to bring you the Leaders in Media podcast. And last but certainly not least, thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Until next time.